Welcome to the Untold Tales Audio Anthologies. Written by Dr. Jeffrey A. Robinson and narrated by Melissa Del Toro Schaffner. The Traveling Salesman, Part 5 The world had changed a lot in the last two years. Humanity's first contact with aliens had gone somewhat awry and had resulted in the release of a contagious variant of mad cow disease that approximated a cliched version of the dreaded zombie apocalypse. I really shouldn't make a joke of it. After all, nearly a billion people worldwide had died before Glactyl and I managed to stop the prion plague. It had accidentally been released as a result of the business dealings of an alien traveling salesman named Glactyl. I had been his partner here on Earth, and was one of the few people alive who understood how the disaster had occurred. But he was taken away, and other aliens had arrived and intervened to deal with the aftermath of the disaster. As a result, a lot of things changed. People had died, governments had fallen, economies had collapsed, and representatives of a galaxy-spanning civilization had arrived and placed the Earth under a special conservatorship in recompense for the damage that had inadvertently happened. Because of my personal experience working with aliens before, I found myself acting as the de facto ambassador from Earth to the Galaxian aliens. One side effect of the cure from the prion plague was that the DNA of humans who had been immunized had a slightly altered brain chemistry that bestowed mildly telepathic abilities. That meant that it was very difficult for people to keep secrets from one another anymore, it was almost impossible to lie. As I said, a lot had changed. The following few years had been quite amazing. With the help of the Galaxians, a new world government had been established. Wars had stopped. Wonderful new technologies had been introduced. And the world was totally transformed. As an ambassador, I helped facilitate many of these changes. And I got to travel widely to many other worlds and met many different species. While I had been quite rich before the apocalyptic events of the plague, the monetary system on Earth had changed to the point that I was no richer than the average human. As polite as our new mentors tried to be, Earthlings were considered to be a poor, ignorant, and somewhat unclean species that were generally inferior to other intelligent species. Hey, we were the new kids on the block, and we hadn't made a name for ourselves yet. Also, most people back on Earth were so busy rebuilding civilization and adapting to whole new levels of technology that few seemed interested in venturing out into a strange and potentially dangerous new existence out amongst the stars. Nevertheless, I was one of those who wanted to leave the Earth behind and make my fortune out in the unknown. I originally thought I might travel and explore the galaxy, but outside of my official role as an emissary from Earth, there were few opportunities. Interstellar travel was expensive, and I didn't own a ship of my own. I also didn't want to ask for free travel because, as all hitchhikers know, you can get stranded in places that you don't want to be. For a while, I thought about getting some type of job. Unfortunately, no matter how hard I tried to begin, I couldn't find a place to start. I was, not surprisingly, totally unqualified for 
any form of work in the galactic civilization that I'd found myself in. I lacked any substantive knowledge or skills, and had no experience making sense of most interactions with other alien species. The few offers of help that I did receive from friendly aliens and associates that I had met were really not much more than kind efforts to mainstream some pitifully handicapped creature. I thought about trying to formally improve my education, but realized that it would take me decades to even acquire the equivalent of an elementary education about most of the worlds I might visit. Still, I refused to give up, though I did grow a little desperate. That's why I decided to find the one alien that I was confident would understand my situation and help me. I went in search of Glactol. It wasn't all that difficult. He had been blamed for the disaster on Earth, but because he had helped mitigate the problem when it had occurred and had accepted full responsibility for everything that had gone wrong, he only received a suspended sentence and was currently on probation. Still, he lost his ship and therefore his livelihood. He had also been stripped of his salesman's license that had allowed him to trade and barter on worlds not officially registered with the galactic authorities. That is poor, undeveloped worlds beyond the edges of the civilized galactic community. I found him working as a clerk for a large marketing conglomerate where he labored as an entry-level data processor responsible for processing complaints, grievances, and accounting irregularities. Without the holographic disguises that he once created using his multiple-purpose unitool, he appeared smaller and diminished from the swaggering, star-faring entrepreneur I had originally met. He was slumped over and his blue-green reptilian hide had lost its luster and seemed dull and drab. His bad fortune seemed to weigh heavily upon him. He was not very happy with his new life. He was even less pleased when I found him. When he first saw me, he simply said, Bob Clayton, what a dreadfully unexpected surprise. At first, he refused to speak to me or even look me in the eye. Eventually, however, he faced me and vented angrily, telling me that I was responsible for everything bad that had happened to him. Later, however, he apologized and said that wasn't true, conceding that it was his own fault. Finally, I managed to explain why I had sought him out. I told him how I needed his help to get a start on a new life, out in this new futuristic realm, and after he thought about it, he got a gleam in his eye and told me that he would think about it. Three days later, he found me in residential quarters that I had acquired upon arriving at the city where he worked. I had been continuing my job search in an attempt to secure some foothold in my new surroundings. Glactyl seemed invigorated and radiated the confidence he had always carried. He walked into my apartment with his old familiar swagger and explained, I have the solution for your conundrum, he announced with all the drama of a carnival barker. We will once again travel the distant reaches of the galaxy and seek mercantile opportunities at the edge of known space. But how can we do that? I thought you lost your license. Do you mean you're going to become a salesman anyway? Oh, no. The penalties if I were caught are far too severe to even consider. No, 
The ban placed on me is a lifetime penalty. Therefore, I will not be a salesman anymore. Rather, you will. Me? But how? I don't belong to your trade guild and don't know anything about it. How would I apply? And, well, I assume there are tests that I would have to pass and fees I would need to pay. I wouldn't even know where to start. Ah, but you have me. And I can lead you through the entire process. It should be but a minor task to get you licensed. And then we can once more carve out our destiny in the stars. I was briefly taken aback by his renewed confidence and stammered for a minute, trying to find the proper questions to ask him. He held up a hand dismissively and said, Do not worry. The test to qualify for a salesman license is trivial. There are only 21 rules that you need to memorize and recite orally. You already know most of them. I have mentioned them repeatedly over our past ventures. After that, they will quiz you about the most appropriate course of action in six different situations. I can coach you through the most common scenarios, and I am certain that you will pass without any difficulty at all. I have always found you to be an intelligent, resourceful, and innovative partner. You will make an excellent marketeer. Lastly, all you will have to do is pay a small administrative fee and post a sizable bond. But I don't have any money. How could I afford something like that? Oh, that will be no problem. I can provide those funds for you. But I thought you lost everything. I did. They took my license and my inventory. The fines I had to pay stripped me of all my savings, and I even lost my ship. Then how could you afford to help me? Oh, when I was first starting out, my mentor advised me to always maintain my insurance policy and to never miss a payment. Bad things happen, he would say. And he was right. There is always a chance of a meteor strike, an ion storm, or pirates, or other unforeseen difficulties. Anyway, after I lost everything, I finally received the payout on my liability insurance policy. And while I have little else, I still have those funds, which I would be more than willing to loan you, at a reasonable interest rate, of course. It took some time to cover other details with him, but in the end, his plan seemed to be quite workable. I needed to become a registered citizen of the galactic community, which required more tests and more fees. Then I had to study for the licensing exam, but that proved to be just as easy as Glactyl had described. Finally, we had to secure a ship. Fortunately, the Traders Guild offered ship rentals to newly licensed sales agents, I signed the appropriate agreements, and Glactol provided funds for the down payment. And we were done. After months of floundering, we managed to trace down and purchase Glactol's tiny starship, and thus managed to establish a legitimate foothold in the galactic milieu. The vessel was quite old and had been sold on auction to pay off for some of the fines that had been assessed to Glactol for the disastrous results of his business ventures back on Earth. All we need now to get started, said Glactyl, is to acquire a matter duplicator for merchandising, but 
Those are quite expensive and all of them are licensed. So we will have some work to do to get one. Oh, that's no problem, I interjected. I have one back on Earth. What? exclaimed Glactyl. But how? Well, do you remember how you had four matter duplicators that you used on Earth, but I destroyed three of them and blackmailed you into finding a cure for the plague by threatening to destroy the last one? Yes, grumbled Glactyl. That was not particularly nice of you. But the authorities confiscated that last one when they seized my ship. Ah, <laughs> that's what everyone was supposed to believe. But you see, I lied. I didn't destroy all three of them. I only destroyed two. I hid the third one, just in case I ever needed it. As a matter of fact, I used it a bit on my own before I left Earth. It's still there, hidden in a safe place. Glactyl frowned, and for a moment, I was afraid he was going to lose control in a fit of rage. But then he raised his head and started laughing, in a cackling voice that sounded more like a small dog choking. And that, he shouted, is the very essence that will someday make you a master trader. You are gifted with a natural ability to accurately read your customers, and you are endowed with an abundance of innovation, foresight, and audacity. Come, my friend, we are off, first to Earth and then to a little place that I've heard of but never actually visited. We may merely be chasing a rumor or myth, but if the information that I paid for so long ago is true, we could make a fortune in our first adventure together. Then he barely gave me time to pack my things before he dragged me to the starport where our ship awaited us. A month later, we orbited a nondescript planet at the very rim of the galaxy. The stars were thin and widespread out there, and Galactal explained that we were so far away from the main trade routes that we would likely never encounter any other ships. But Galactal was not hasty. For more than a month, we orbited the planet Algar, doing nothing more than performing long-range surveys and sending out drones to examine the life forms below. The planet was inhabited by a race of furry mammals that had a primitive society that was just starting to develop basic industry. Their level of technology was roughly the equivalent of pre-Victorian England, complete with wooden buildings, stone streets, and lizard-drawn carriages. The planet had been frozen for most of the past million years, following a massive impact with a stellar object that extinguished almost all life and left it shrouded in dust and ash for millennia. It was, however, transitioning into a warmer period, and most of the ice that had covered the world had retreated to the polar regions, leaving the majority of the world temperate or tropical. Most of the cities were clustered at the edge of the retreating plains of ice. Semi-autonomous drones gathered information about the inhabitants and provided details about their languages sufficient to program translators for us to use. Glactyl was quite excited about finding this world. It was a place that had been whispered of in myths for generations. He had purchased information about this place decades before, from a questionable source, so he had never followed through on it. However, due to our current level of desperation, he decided it was well worth the trip. And so far, the lead seemed to be paying off. Apparently, the meteor had been a fragment from an ancient Nova Corps. It was incredibly dense and consisted of expanded neutronium. 
Neutronium inside a giant star is so dense that a chest full of the material would have massed as much as an entire planet. The tiny fragment that had hit this planet was once smaller than a fingernail, but after it was released from the forces that compressed it, it had expanded to a sphere more than 100 meters across. The asteroid resided nearly a mile below the surface, in the center of an equatorial crater that was more than 2,000 kilometers. What made it particularly interesting to Glactyl and me was that it was incredibly rich in magnetic monopoles, one of the rarest and most valuable commodities in the galaxy. Unfortunately, electronics malfunctioned and ceased to work near magnetic monopoles. Therefore, in order to harvest the monometal ore, we would have to entice the local population to manually mine the metal for us. First, we planned to make contact with the large city near the northern edge of the impact crater. Then, we would offer items in trade that they would value highly. We decided to give them refrigeration units. The mammalian inhabitants of the planet hated the ever-warming climate and longed for the cold weather, snow, and ice-covered fields of the good old days. Later, we would introduce electrical generators and lights for their city. Finally, when they became dependent on these items, we would convince them to descend a mile-deep shaft that we will have drilled down to the edge of the asteroid and mine the mono-ore for us. Glactyl explained that, like most fruitful enterprises, it often took time to get the locals' help. Just like it had taken more than two years before Glactyl had managed to harvest ampules of life force back on Earth. The only part of the plan that bothered me was that when I made first contact, I would have to pose as a character from their mythological stories. Essentially, I had to wear an exoskeleton covered with heavy fur pelts and hide behind a mask that would make it look like my eyes were glowing. While fully outfitted, I would look like a giant grizzly bear on its hind legs and long golden claws while wearing a long black hooded cape. I would then present myself as an emissary of he who watches, before bestowing the gifts of ice machines and light. Glactyl assured me that this was allowed since it did not violate Trade Guild Rule Number 12, because I was posing as a messenger from the local deities, rather than claiming to be a divine creature myself. Then, using his universally adaptable unitool, Glactyl crafted a holographic image to enhance my appearance and alter my voice to sound normal to the local inhabitants of this world. Master traders apparently needed to be master hair splitters, too. We started mass-producing refrigerators, electrical generators, lights, and mining tools. And once all the preparations had been completed, I descended to the surface of the planet in a theatrically prepared fiery chariot and strode boldly into the city center, praying that my translator disc had been programmed properly. The most surprising aspect of our trip to Algar was the fact that our plan remained on schedule for as long as it did. My appearance to the inhabitants of Algar worked just as he predicted. Glactyl said that I was a natural actor and that I had played the role perfectly. Our ploy to shower the locals with gifts and make them dependent on us worked flawlessly. While we continued to make more ice makers and electrical generators, Glactyl had teams of robots build a railroad track between the city and the mining site more than a thousand kilometers away. When the emissary explained that it was time for the Algars to pay for the gifts that they had received, 
the local citizenry agreed to work in the new mine without hesitation. It seemed it was a tradition that gifts always had strings attached. In any case, workers were assigned to the mines and arrived in shifts, where they would work for two or three weeks before returning home. Mining operations began slowly, since none of the Algar workers had never done any mining before. There were, of course, a myriad of little problems that had to be solved along the way, but eventually, the precious monometal made it to the surface in specially shielded metal boxes. For instance, special magnetic shield generators had to be installed to suppress the magnetic influence of the monopoles deep underground, so they would not interfere with automated operations on the surface. Also, the boxes of ore had to be shielded so they would not wreak havoc with the ship's systems. Glactyl remained exclusively on the ship for the entire time. Apparently, according to Guild rules, he was forbidden to work with, speak to, or even meet with anyone who was not a registered galactic citizen. The mining proceeded smoothly. In a relatively short time, a small town appeared that housed and serviced all the workers who arrived. Only a few months after the mining operations began in earnest, the ship's hold was almost full. Our calculations indicated that the first trip back to civilization would not only pay for the trip, but the profits would also allow us to almost completely pay off our ship, since it had a lease-to-buy option. Moreover, the Nova Corps proved to be so rich in magnetic monopoles that it looked like we would need to make at least six round trips to transfer all the monopoles that we expected to mine. At last, with our ship fully loaded, we traveled to the nearest galactic commercial hub and sold our cargo. Then, we returned to Algar. However, it was while we were loading the next batch of monometal that things took a nasty turn. Unfortunately, someone at the Commerce Center, where we had unloaded our ore, heard about the precious resources we had arrived with and they followed us back to Algar. Less than a week after our return, a massive ship appeared over our mining operations and hovered overhead. Glactyl explained that the dampers that we had installed around the mine to reduce the emissions from the monopoles would not completely hide their presence, but they would make it very difficult to pinpoint the location of the ore deposits. The newly arrived vessel was a modified warship. Most of its interior had been stripped to make room for cargo instead of troops, but it still sported some of the impressive armament that made the weapons on our ship look like pea shooters. As they loomed overhead, they hailed us and demanded that we identify ourselves and our reason for being there. We identified ourselves as a merchant ship duly registered with the Trade Guild and gave our identification number. Are they merchants too? I asked. Not likely, replied Glactyl. The ship has no markings or identifying. Also, if they were, they would have identified themselves with their guild registration number. Then what are they? There are two possibilities. They are either pirates, in which case we can expect to be boarded shortly and taken prisoner, or they are privateers. What's the difference? Well, pirates usually don't mess around. They just take what they want, and the level of destruction that they leave in their wake depends primarily on their mood. Privateers, on the other hand, at least try to give the illusion that they are legitimate. But they are little more than corrupt members of the guild that simply haven't been caught yet. <laughs>
if that is the case, they will make us ridiculous offers for our goods, and, without making overt threats, they will make it clear what the result will be if we refuse their proposals. So what can we do? There is little that we can do except wait. However, I would suggest sending as many Algar miners back home as we can, if only to minimize any potential loss of life, in case violence breaks out. Also, sending the miners away will make it look like we are abandoning this location. Maybe we can convince them that this particular mine has been cleaned out. That way, we might only lose the cargo that we currently have on board. Glactal and I waited and found ourselves relieved when, instead of sending down troops, the ship overhead asked us about our operations on the planet and whether or not we had any more mines in operation. We explained that this mine had been emptied, but that fragments of a Nova Corps indeed existed scattered across the planet. The intruders mauled this over and left, apparently to conduct their own survey, rather than trust any data we might have provided. Glactal informed me that he had already had the machine intelligence on board prepare falsified survey results that would have left the privateers on a wild goose chase. So how long will we have until they find there are no more deposits? I asked. Glactal replied, It will take them at least a week to conduct a full survey, but they could return before then. Can we run? I asked. No, they could easily outrun us. I didn't have to ask whether or not we could fight our way clear, because we were seriously outnumbered and outgunned. Do you have any suggestions? I asked hopefully. No, replied Glactal sadly. Do you? Actually, I do, I said. What's that? he asked. Well, it's obvious that we are a small merchant vessel, and they know we are just small-time salesmen. So why don't we do exactly what they expect and sell them something? What? asked Glactal with exasperation. Our cargo? Well, we could start with that, but... I was thinking along the lines of selling what traveling salesmen are best at selling. And what is that? He asked. Smiling, I simply replied, Bullshit! And then I started explaining my plan. The Traveling Salesman continues in Part 6, when Bob and Glactal outsmart privateers. Thank you for listening. From all of us here at Untold Tales, we'd like to thank everyone who supported our relaunch in the new year and who have reviewed us with five-star reviews on Apple iTunes. Here's a great one from Little Star 23 So far, I'm really enjoying these fun and intriguing stories. They are perfect for my drive home and while I cook or do things around the house. Each one is different and full of great imagination. The voiceover work and production quality are also top-notch. I highly recommend. Thank you so much, Little Star 23. We really appreciate your five-star review. Did you know we've got a new blog that we think will really inform and inspire writers, readers, and listeners on many of the topics we deal with here on the podcast, as well as a new YouTube channel, website, and Instagram feed. We're also always looking for writers to submit new stories for the podcast. 
so please find our submissions page on our website. And most importantly, we are always hoping to entertain more people like you. So please share this podcast with your friends and family and anybody who might be a sci-fi buff. We know they'll love it. And if you'd like to support the show for about one cup of coffee a month, you can go to the link in the show notes on every episode and find a support this podcast link from anchor.com. It'll give you some options on how you can support all these great authors on this podcast, as well as myself and Jeff. We know you'll love what you hear and have a great day.